Welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. I'm Federica Cherubini, Head of Leadership Development at the Institute. This is a special series of our podcast and it's dedicated to the Digital News Report 2022. Over seven episodes, we're diving into the most comprehensive piece of research on news consumption around the world. In this episode of the series, we're joined by lead author of the report, Nick Newman, who has written a chapter on email newsletters. We look at findings on how many people use this medium, the news audiences who find them most popular, and the appeal of the format to users and publishers alike. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Very good to be here, Federica. So we tend to think of email as being old-fashioned and low-tech, but getting news directly in your inbox seems to be having an enduring value, at least to some news audiences and news organizations. Firstly, what are some of the headline figures on how many people use email newsletters? It sort of varies across countries, but it it tends to be somewhere around a tenth to um, a quarter who get a newsletter weekly. Uh, and obviously many of them also getting them daily. Um, highest in countries like the United States, so about 22% say that they get a newsletter weekly. Uh, and uh, interestingly, about half say it's their main source of news, um, but they're much lower in, in countries like the UK. Uh, but I think the, the kind of really interesting bit is that people who, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the type of people who are using email newsletters. They tend to be people who are, very interested in news tend to be people who pay for news and who knew who use the news most regularly so so in that sense you know this group of people is absolutely critical for the sort of sustainability of, of many news organizations whether you're you know ad supported or or, or subscription based I, I guess the other thing just to say is you know we think of there's a lot of focus on email we think of email uh, newsletters maybe as growing but actually they're not really growing. And part of the reason is that they're facing huge amount of competition in terms of access points from other types of, of media. So social media in particular, which has grown uh, very substantially. Uh, mobile alerts, mobile aggregators, we've also seen sort of significant growth there. And so in that sense, it's quite interesting that, that email newsletters actually in terms of weekly reaches have stayed pretty much the, the same. So that you could see that's a success in the face of these other you know, growing forms of uh, access. For those who actually don't use email newsletters and are not very familiar um, with them, can you outline what are they like? How are their structures? What are the broad categories they fall into? Uh, that's a really hard question, Federica. Thank you so much. Um, and actually, we haven't attempted this this uh, this time to sort of really categorise them in, in into into buckets. But I think some of it, some of the differences come out in general responses. So we ask people to tell us what kind of emails uh, they access, and then we sort of put those in different buckets. So I think you have um, you have general news roundups. Um, so these are often curated these days. Um, and I think the sort of intention of media companies that are doing this is to save people time. Quite often they've got links to websites within them. So the aim is to sort of attract attention, if you like, and get people to go to those websites. So you, you'll be familiar with formats like five things you need to know today. Uh, they became very uh, widespread during COVID pandemic, they've they've sometimes there's, there's, there were ones on on Ukraine, for example. 
organizations like the BBC and CNN have really sort of adapted these formats uh, and actually taken them from email to uh, to websites as well. So you, you start to see these formats el elsewhere as well. Uh, you have Axios, I would, I would call out as a real pioneer in this. Um, so they've developed this idea of smart brevity uh, explicitly trying to be careful with your time. So they tell you how long this email is gonna be. So curating uh, roundups in specialist areas as well as general news. Then you have, uh, I think another category is articles that are designed to be read in your email. So these are often personally authored articles effectively. They might have links within them, but they're not trying to push you anywhere else with links. Uh, you know, the main business model is to um, spend time. We can sell that time for sponsorship or in some cases, subscription. So that's where, you know, we're starting to see individual journalists making money out of emails that appear in your inbox. And then the final category I would call out is breaking news or breaking news alerts. So these, these are, I think have become less popular over time, but in, in a previous report, we actually found almost half of email users uh, subscribe to some kind of breaking news email as well. So, so that's broadly the kind of buckets that we that we find. I'm going to add a, a funny one. Um, which one do you use? Uh, I I get about uh, I get about ten or I, I use all of those. Uh, um, I probably get about twenty emails a day. Uh, so mainstream roundups from the BBC, Politico, the Times. Um, I I get a huge bucket of of ones about the media. There's one I really like by Matt Deegan on audio, uh, sort of beautifully written, uh, always on sort of one or two subjects. Um, Neiman Lab, Reuters Institute, of course, fantastic curated course. Um, <laughs> uh, section. Uh, a a Substack, one Casey Newton, uh, I think a lot of people um, subscribe to that, which is about developments in Silicon Valley. That's a, that's a subscriber one. And I get a couple of really interesting political ones as well, which I've subscribed to recently. So one by Margaret Cox Richardson on US politics. Uh, there's um, a UK one called The Ruffian by Ian Leslie, which is always interesting, lands in your email box on a Saturday morning. So, you know, a lot of diversity. And, you know, I think that's bringing in a lot of new perspectives and as well as sort of saving time on. So it's probably illustrative of the types. You mentioned in, in the ones you just mentioned, a mix between news organization and actually solo journalist. Um, I'm curious what the report says, what are the most popular sources of email news? Right, yeah, so, so we divided it up into um, mainstream media, then specialist publications that you might subscribe to for your work. I just talked about my media, for example, or it might be about passions, you know, things like sport uh, or arts. Uh, then alternative outlets, which, which we kind of think of as um, almost anti-mainstream media. So it might be political, it might just be, you know, different kinds of perspectives. And then individual journalists working on their own. There's obviously overlaps between those, but those were the categories. And most categories, <clears throat> in most countries, we find that the majority of emails that people say they get are from big mainstream media companies in every uh, in every country, so more than 50%. About a fifth um, say they get uh, newsletters for specialist organizations uh, for their work etc same for alternative media and then a smaller percentage from individual journalists but what's what's interesting about that is the country differences so uh, in the US 
18% of email subscribers say they get newsletters from an individual journalist, and that's just 4% in the UK. So I think that just speaks to, you know, the so-called Substack revolution, where you've got individual journalists now getting paid for what they do and charging money. Uh, that's gone much further in the, in the US. So we see um, uh, we, we see, uh, you know, a lot of Substack newsletters. Substack, I think, talk about one million people who are now paying for their newsletters, the vast majority of those in the US, and it hasn't gone nearly as far in countries like the UK. I'm going to stay on, on this um, differences between countries. Um, aside from the sources they're coming from, have you seen any reason why newsletters seem to have a very different prominence in some countries compared to the other? Um, the UK, for example, is notably at the bottom of the list where people accessing news um, through email at less than half the rate seen in the US. How do you explain these big differences? I think it's partly about supply and <clears throat> where media companies have really sort of focused their efforts. So U US publications have been into email for a very long time. Um, they invested them consistently. For example, the New York Times now produces, I think, 50 different emails read by, uh, they claim, 15 million people a week. Um, but you also have a sort of very, very large market. And I think that's really encouraged this sort of entrepreneurial journalism and some of the uh, developments we're seeing in, in paying for individual emails as well. Um, so it's partly about the larger market. It's partly about that. That really helps the sort of commercial incentives to produce a format that now has a business model. Uh, and if you compare that to... Smaller markets like Norway, for example, very close to the bottom of the list, you know, lots of interest in news, but um, quite low email subscription. And I think that's partly because they have much stronger and more confident brand connections. So, you know, they've got people who in our research are much more likely to go directly to websites and apps. Uh, subscription rates are pretty high. So maybe publishers don't feel there's, there's as much need to push content to audiences through, through email. Are there any demographic factors influences, uh, influencing what rate people um, use email newsletters? Absolutely. I mean, there's a huge democratic, demographic split. So email is mainly valued by older, richer, more educated news consumers. I mean, they're, they're a particularly interesting group of people for, um, for many news organizations. Uh, and this is true across uh, countries. So about one in, in the US, just taking the US, about one in seven of over 55 say email is actually their main way of accessing news. So it's really important to that older group, partly because they spend a lot of time in email and they don't really use social media so much. And if, But if you compare that to the young, youngest group, so under 25s, just 3% of them say that email is their main way of accessing news in the US, compared with... Um, you know, four in 10 say social media is their main way of, of accessing news. So you can see that 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 difference. Um, and, it, and it's not surprising because, you know, young people generally don't spend a lot of time in email. They're, they're mainly in communication apps. And so if you want to reach younger people, if your strategy is to do so, uh, email is probably not your best bet. Right. Email newsletter via WhatsApp, um, something like that. Um, exactly. What... It is that um, readers say they enjoy about newsletters. I think, and in terms of the benefits, again, we we sort of got at this through through sort of open questions and then um, and also a survey response. Uh, and and fundamentally, people tell us it's it's about convenience. You know, the way in which email 
brings together a package of information in a format that's easy to consume. So 65% uh, say that's why they like email newsletters. And then beyond that, uh, diverse perspectives. Um, so that sense that you're hearing uh, views or analysis that you won't get anywhere else um, in the mainstream media, for example, that might be just different types of voices. It might be an inside track on something. And then closely related to that is the idea of unique content, 24%, so you can't get it anywhere else. Um, and this is particularly interesting when it comes to getting people to pay for content. Um, this is where, you know, I was talking about Casey Newton and, and his platformer Substack email. So where you can, where, where you've got something that's truly unique, then you can start to charge for that kind of content. Um, so, you know, the, the uh, authorial voice is another really important one. Uh, for people as well. And uh, that's a trend that we've seen grow over time. So email newsletters used to be about just links and now increasingly they're about the personality of the author as well. That's another reason why people say that they you know, enjoy the, the emails. What do you think the curated nature of some of these newsletters, the very human and personal tone says about how news is traditionally delivered? Do you think this is a response to being too much news out there to navigate, for example? Yeah, definitely. I'm not, <clears throat> I think that sense of convenience, and we know elsewhere in the report people talk about being overwhelmed by the news. And I think <clears throat> that idea of convenience and saving time which is the dominant reason why people are using these email newsletters um, is part of it. But I think what we've seen is the growth of these sort of curated emails where you have a personality. And that's partly because digital has really struggled to engage people in the way that media like television or radio was able to do. And therefore, you know, you're not really getting the time uh, with, uh, with, with, with media. And so I think the curated aspect is is trying to build that connection build that loyalty that media companies really are after uh, and and i mean just to give one example um the new york times which used to have a sort of morning roundup which was quite sort of cold and clinical added this authorial voice um david leonhardt who's a pulitzer prize-winning journalist has been curating um you know the morning email from the new york times for several years now and he sort of brings a more relaxed tone um, but it, but there are also risks around that because, you know, you bring a more human tone, it can risk injecting more bias or polarizing opinions. In fact, Leonard himself was criticized over his COVID coverage. Um, so, you know, there's, there's sort of trade-offs and we also see sort of some other emails trying to be the opposite of that and saying, you know, what we're going to be is completely unbiased and we're just going to give you the links and you can make your own views. So, you know, emails like 1440, for example, stress the impartial curation of more than 100 sources, but still that same convenient package saving you time. Uh, this is a, probably a broad question, but what value do you think news organizations see in email newsletter? What does an email offer that a website can't? I mean, from when I mean, going back to when I was working on on websites for the BBC, one of the frustrations was, you know, we're producing all of this content and we only have a front page. So you would have these huge arguments about what you put on the front page. And I think email kind of helps to solve that problem because it allows you to create other front pages that uh, you know may have a, 
you know, a topic focus, or they may have a personality focus, just different ways of curating all of that content and resurfacing that content in different ways. So in the absence of amazing personalization technology, which we've been waiting for for about 20 years, I think email is actually kind of the best way at, or another great way of giving you a front page into all of the content that you have. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's from a news organization's point of view, but also from a consumer's point of view, that's one of the key advantages. We look at consumers and we look at what it is in, in newsletters for news organization. We shouldn't forget an important point, which is um, the business model. How are newsletters a part of the news organization business models at the moment? I think increasingly, um, you know, it, it used to be that the core aim of news organizations when they were mainly ad supportive was about was about reach and about clicks. Um, but I think increasingly now it's about loyalty. It's about getting people to come back more often. It's about demonstrating that. And email is, you know, probably the most important tool in in the armory now about driving more frequent visits for many media organizations. Um, and, you know, the data shows that people are much less likely to churn i.e to unsubscribe if they are if they've signed up to one or more email newsletters for example so still this rather old-fashioned uh technique of of getting people to sign up to a email is the is the most effective way of keeping people engaged on a regular basis um, and then acquisition so getting new people to sign up so that's a that's another part of it you you know via a free newsletter you get their email address and you can start to build a relationship with them so it's important for acquisition it's important for retention and i think for subscription publishers i think we're seeing a bit of a shift right now um so you know it was primarily seen as marketing in the past but i think we're we're seeing uh, many more organizations bundle their emails in with the subscription product so only available to subscribers as a way of um, locking people in more, I guess. So the Wall Street Journal, for example, has bundled its 10-point morning briefing, which used to be free, into its core subscription product. New York Times has recently converted um, about a dozen of its newsletters, which were, again, free into subscriber-only products and added a few, a few new ones. So, you know, th at the moment, the media industry is really worried about uh, losing their subscribers because of the cost of living crisis and email, you know, really critical um, uh, way of sort of tying people in more, more closely. And added value. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, thank you so much for joining um, us for the podcast today. It's a pleasure. Our guest today was Nick Newman, lead author of the Digital News Report. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Digital News Report 2022 podcast series. You can catch up on other episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you want to read the report in full, you can find it online at digitalnewsreport.org slash 2022. And if you want to miss any news from the Institute, you can subscribe to our very own weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. This was Future of Journalism, a podcast by the Reuters Institute. I'm Federica Cherubini, and we'll be back soon.